we have an opportunity to go downstairs uh, and share coffee and bagels and treats with one another. Uh, and so, again, if you're new, uh, welcome to Bethany, uh, West Seattle. My name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the pastor here. Uh, and if you are new, would love, love, love to meet you after service. Uh, and so, again, welcome as we continue and we're kind of landing this sermon series uh, called Seasons, uh, talking about various seasons that we go through in our lives. Uh, and as we led up to different seasons, uh, we celebrated the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus just last week, uh, Easter. Uh, and because Easter happened, because there's a resurrection, we believe that regardless of, of whatever season that we go through, that Sunday, that Easter, uh, is always coming. That many of us, even though we, we may live in a season of, uh, of Friday, of good morning, of death, of darkness, of pain, of sorrow, of despair, of what, or whatever that might be, that because Easter exists, because a resurrection happened, we can look at all of that in the face and say that we are not afraid. And so uh, it was such a fun uh, morning to celebrate uh, with many of you with, with our two services and our Easter egg hunt. Uh, and, and so many cute outfits, and, and I hope that we can continue celebrating, uh, not just on Easter, but every day of our lives, uh, the meaning and the purpose of the work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, and so this morning, we continue in John chapter 21, uh, and just real quick, just an addendum to the, to the announcements, um, I would love for all of us to get involved in young life and young lives, and, and again, baptisms on the 19th. Uh, Young Life at the auction, you're all welcome. We do have a seat for you, just not all of you. Uh, so we have reserved and purchased a table, uh, limited space there. But if you email or reach out to, to Ali, she will get you connected. If it's full, tickets are only a few bucks. I would love for you to still participate anyway. So uh, if you do want to join the Bethany table, we already have a couple. One's already full. Uh, and so just reach out to Ali. So uh, our morning, our text comes from John chapter 21, and ultimately it's, it's the whole chapter, uh, but what we want to talk about this morning is 15 to 17, and let me just read this for you. Uh, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And also notice that when we talk about Simon, uh, really who we're talking about is Simon Peter, or otherwise known uh, as Peter. Sometimes there's a delay. Uh, and then in verse 17, he says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then said, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and what you have to say to us. And God, for many of us, you ask, do you love me? And for many of us, we say yes. And so God, may we feed your sheep. May we be invited and receive the invitation to new life of hope and transformation.
regardless of where we're at in our faith journey, no matter what we've been through, that you receive us into that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, for those of you that have been coming around, I, I share a little bit about myself, and maybe I've shared this story before, uh, but in my upbringing, I grew up in a neighborhood, uh, and, and let's just say a neighborhood that's a little rough around the edges, okay? Uh, this was uh, just the north part of Seattle, uh, and, and I lived there for really a majority of my life. Uh, up until high school, actually. And, and then finally, my parents said, all right, we're going to get out of here. We're going to move into a different neighborhood. We're going to continue moving up north. Uh, and, and so uh, I had to transfer schools uh, at my sophomore year. Now, for those of you that have transferred before or went to new schools, especially in the middle of a, 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 a school grade or, or whatever it is, you know how difficult that can be. And not just difficult, but for me, it was like a huge culture shock. I moved from kind of a rougher part of Seattle, uh, although Seattle is it's, it's a safe city, but, but I lived in kind of a, a rough around the edges kind of neighborhood. And then my family said, all right, we're moving to a town called Mill Creek. Now, uh, for those of you that know Mill Creek, uh, I love it. That's, you know, my parents are still there. I, I visit. Uh, but being rough around the edges is not the way you would describe the town of Mill Creek. Uh, and, and so I remember going to the new neighborhood, going to the new school, and it was such a culture shock because everything was different. And, and to make matters worse, because I came in like the middle of sophomore year, I was pegged as the new guy. The new guy. And, and, and maybe... I don't know if this still happens, but especially when I was in high school, uh, the new person would uh, be picked on, would be treated terribly, would be kind of not invited to the social circles, uh, and I certainly felt that. Now, uh, the language of being, uh, of being bullied and bullied, that, that wasn't quite there uh, quite yet at the time, but looking back, I would say that I was probably a little bullied as a new person at the high school, at this new year, in this new neighborhood, and so there was this one moment where there was a particular person that would pick on me or, or kind of push me around, really figuratively and literally. Uh, and I just remember thinking, the neighborhood, you know, not to sound like I'm so, you know, I have so much street cred, but I would, I would think to myself, well, the neighborhood that I came from, if that happens, really, there's only one way to settle it. Uh, and so I remember thinking, okay, I have to have a conversation with this person. And so I remember it was lunchtime, uh, and I confronted this person. And just know a little bit about my background. Like before that, if there was, you know, people got in trouble, you know, at school, people got in fights and physical altercations, and what would happen is you get a slap on the wrist, and you'd say, don't do it again, and you'd go to the class. Well, in Mill Creek, it was a little different. That didn't happen, or the consequences were uh, different than the school that I came from. And so I remember going to the lunchroom uh, and thinking, okay, I have to confront this person. And I did. And we got into a little uh, confrontation, a little altercation, if you will. Uh, and I remember after that was over, both of us, we got called into the principal's office. And I thought that was so strange because the school that I transferred from, all that would happen is like, don't do it again, go to class, see you later, have a good day. This time, I had to go to the principal's office 
And I remember, and I can't believe I'm sharing this. Uh, some of you guys know this. I remember the principal looking at both of us uh, after that altercation and saying that we would be expelled from high school. So there you have it. Your pastor uh, was expelled when he was in high school uh, for a physical altercation. And, and to make matters worse, I remember having to go home after that. Uh, and, and I will tell you, from my car to the front door was the longest walk I had ever taken because I knew who and what was going to be waiting for me on the other side of those doors. I remember opening the door, and, and, and my parents were there. They were severely upset. They were very disappointed for very good reason. And, and I just remember kind of replaying in my head what was going to happen and just knowing my mom and, and if she would yell or if she would you know, reprimand me, then that was good. That was good. Like, okay, this is normal. I know what to expect. But I just remember walking into the door, and it was silent. Now, when it was silent, that was the scarier part of the way that my parents responded to my mischief or when I was in trouble. And and as I walked in, I remember my mom was actually in tears, crying. And I remember that moment when I saw my mom cry due to my stupidity and, and all that thing and all those things that happened, and I couldn't help but to feel so much shame and so much guilt. And, and, and honestly, if I can use a different word, I felt like a failure. I felt like I failed, especially in this Asian context where shame and honor uh, is such a big deal. At that moment, uh, understanding the, the severity of what I've done and what I've been through and what has happened, going into the doors, seeing the face of my parents, especially my mom crying, I felt so much shame and guilt and failure. And I remember to make matters worse, my, my wrestling coach called me. Uh, I've wrestled all my life. I transferred from this team to that team when I went to high school. And I remember my coach calling me uh, and telling me how disappointed he was. And then at the end of the conversation, I said, Coach, I'm so sorry for letting you down and letting the team down. And I'll never, and I'll never forget his response. It's so vivid, even in my mind today. He responds and he says to me, don't ever call me coach. I'm not your coach. And we hung up. And the sense, again, of shame and guilt and feeling of failure just just became so strong in my body and my mind and and how I felt. And I started crying and and I was just overwhelmed with that sense. And, And I come here and I wonder how many of us in our lives have experienced a sense of shame and guilt and a sense of failing. And it's funny because we had this conversation in our time of, of prayer this morning about Brene Brown. Uh, and I love the work of Brene Brown, mainly and especially because through her work, uh, the conversation of vulnerability and talking about shame, talking about guilt, uh, has been really alive and well. And I've really appreciated that. But I would imagine that many of us in our lives, we've experienced that kind of shame, that deep sense of shame, that deep sense of guilt. And maybe that's you sitting in here this morning. It can be little things like the ways you've treated a friend or, or, or a spouse or a family member or even a stranger. Maybe you feel shame for how you behave on the drive over here if you're anything like me. 
Maybe it's an addiction that just seems to have a hold on you and that you just can't kick. And the only thing that you feel is the shame and the guilt around that addiction. Maybe it's the trauma that you felt in the past from hurt that you've received. And somehow that person has manipulated you into thinking that you need to carry the responsibility and the pain of the weight that that comes with. Maybe it's your attitude, selfishness, greed, pride. That gives you a sense of shame and guilt and a feeling of failure. And as we read uh, John chapter 21, if anybody has ever felt a sense of this deep shame and guilt and feeling like they were a failure, it really was Peter. It was Peter. And in chapter 21, it's a story mainly about Peter, and I wish, I so wish we had time to do like a full-on character development of Peter because he's a fascinating person, and I would imagine a lot of us in this room, we would be able to resonate with the life and attitude and the heart and behaviors uh, of Peter, of Simon Peter, you just changed his name to Peter, but whenever we talk about Simon, uh, it is, it's Peter, the, na- the people are the same person. But in order to understand John 21 and the life of Peter, we need to understand a little bit of the background, the chronology of what has happened. And so when we start or look at a few chapters back, all over the New Testament, we'll see Peter as regarded as one of Jesus' friends. Not only friends, but Jesus' best friend. There's three people that Jesus really identified with, that walked alongside with, that cared for, that loved. Uh, yes, there was that 12, but even within that 12, there was three. And Peter was one of them. John and James, the other. And, and not only uh, were Jesus and, and Peter pretty much best friends, uh, but Peter would time and time over and over again say, Jesus, I love you. I would never leave you. I would never forsake you. Jesus, I would lay my life down for you. Jesus, you, you are my everything. Jesus, I will follow you. There's even a time where Jesus says, leave your nets, leave your job, essentially. Leave your career and follow me. And what happens? G- uh, Peter leaves and, and says, okay, I will follow you, and drops his net leaves it and follows Jesus. There was a time where these soldiers wanted to arrest Jesus. They did arrest Jesus. And Peter comes out of nowhere with the sword and and chops off the ear of one of the soldiers that wants to arrest Jesus because Peter was so connected. Peter loved Jesus so much. Peter had committed his life to Jesus. In Luke 5, it says Peter left everything and followed him. And then you see, when we get to John chapter 13, there's this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples at the, what we would coin as the Last Supper before his crucifixion. He says this, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus at this time said, you know what, you're not going to get it. Disciples, friends, you don't get it. I'm going to be with God, then I'm going to come back, and then all these things are going to happen. Uh, but I have to leave for a season, for a moment, I have to be gone. And, and Peter's like, I don't get it. What, what are you talking about? He says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied. And then Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This is Peter's rhetoric all throughout the New Testament. Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. I will lay my life down for you. In verse 38, then Jesus answered, 
You will certainly, uh, will you certainly lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And you have to imagine what Peter is going through at this time. Jesus, what are you talking about? Did, didn't you hear what I just said? I would, I want to follow you. I will lay my life down for you. And yet Jesus' response says, will you really? Jesus knows what's going to unfold. Jesus knows, obviously, what Peter's going to do. And so Jesus kind of questions him, not as a real question, but to really challenge him. Will will you really lay down your life for me? Is that that a true statement? Because what we know in the chapters after that, when Jesus was being arrested, there's servant ladies and people that came up to Peter and says, do you know that guy that's getting arrested? Hey, aren't you Peter? Aren't you one of that guy, Jesus, who's being arrested, who's flogged, who's about to be crucified, aren't you friends with him? Aren't you a follower of him? Aren't you one of his disciples? Isn't he your teacher? And three times he was asked that by three different people. And three times Peter says, no, I do not know the man. What? This was the very person in the New Testament that says, I love you, Jesus. I will follow you. I'll lay my life down for you. Wherever you go, I'll go. And Jesus was right when Peter says, no, I do not know this man. And in the New Testament, it says, uh, Peter even made an oath, a promise to the people, which is more than just a pinky promise. It's like, I, pr- I, I put this on my life. I give you everything that I am to tell you that I do not know this man that has been arrested. And then in Matthew chapter 26, it describes Peter this way. Peter remembered the words of Jesus. Peter suddenly, after he rejects and says, no, I don't know this man, three times. In Matthew, it says, Peter remembers what Jesus said. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I'll never forget this part. I love this part because I can resonate with this. It says, then he went outside and wept bitterly. He remembered what Jesus was going to say. He reflected on what he just did. He reflected on how much he loved Jesus, but there's a big gap between his action and what he says. And he went outside and wept bitterly. After Jesus invests so much in Peter, after Jesus loves Peter, cares for Peter, brings him into the inner circle, the moment that Peter's life was in danger from knowing and being associated with Jesus, turns out he can fully live up to the promises that he committed to Jesus, following him, loving him, being connected with him, never abandoning him. He even said, hey, all these other disciples, they might desert you. They'll they'll probably leave you. Not me. I'm going to be here for you until the day that I die. Could you imagine, and you want to talk about shame and guilt and failing, if anyone hasn't felt this, it's Peter. And he went outside weeping bitterly. I can imagine with so much guilt, so much shame, and feeling like he has failed. Now, fast forward a bit to John chapter 21. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. Uh, He comes out from the grave. There's a little confusion on what's going on. Where's Jesus? Is Jesus really here? He doesn't really know. Uh, And what's interesting in John chapter 21, verse 3, what we've read 
is that of all the things that Peter could have done, even his disciples, Peter says this, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and then they said, well, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, don't miss what is going on right now. There's a couple of observations that I would love for us to make. Now, here is Peter. We know a little bit of the background where he made all these promises to love and follow Jesus. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are with me. I love you. I will lay my life down for you. Rubber meets the road. Do you know Jesus? No, I don't. Failure. Shame. Guilt. And then suddenly, after Jesus dies, Peter says, well, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. And this word where it says, I'm going fishing, uh, it's this word, Greek word, hupago. It's a, just quick nuance. I normally have that stuff out on the board, uh, but it's a quick nuance. But I don't want you to miss it. It says, hupago, I'm going with you. Uh, and for those of you that are uh, linguist or English major or even maybe even Greek, it's in the present active indicative verb. And what you have to know about that is that it's a continuous action. It's a continuous action. Uh, It's not something that is a one-time event. I'm going fishing. Uh, The connotation here is that it's not a habitual action, or it's it's becoming a habitual action, not a one-time event. He's gone back to fishing. At one time, in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus says, drop your fishing nets, drop everything you have, and follow me. And, And Peter says, okay, I'm going with you. I'm leaving this life, this vocation. I'm dropping it, and I'm following you. All that stuff happens, failure, shame, guilt. What does Peter do? He goes back and he says, I'm going fishing. And again, not just this one-time event where I'm just going to go fishing just for today. It's this habitual action is what this Greek uh, insinuates, that he's just gone back to the life of fishing. Number one. Number two, it says, so then he goes to the boat. Now, in the Greek, there's a definite article, the, English, we have definite articles too, the boat. Uh, and, and if it was a unique boat, if it was a different boat, boat, the Greek would have said a boat. Instead of saying a boat, there's a definite article saying the boat. So, so Peter is saying, I'm going to go fishing. Maybe a better translation is, I'm going to go back to fishing because it's not a one-time event. It's an habitual uh, thing that he's going to do. And in order to do that, he's going to go back to not a boat, not a random boat that just happens to be there. I'm going back to the boat. Probably, most scholars believe, probably the boat that he used most of his fishing career. Essentially, Peter has self-selected out of God's promises, hopes, and commitment and says, you know what? I know that I said I was going to follow you, Jesus, but I I have messed up severely. I have turned my back on you. And so the only choice that he's given himself is saying, well, I can't continue as a disciple of Jesus. And so I'm going to go back to my old life, going back to the boat, going back to my old career, the very thing that I let go and abandoned to follow Jesus. Well, now I have self-selected out of that and I have no choice but to go back. To go back to, my, to his old ways. It sounds like he believes that there's nothing left to do because of his behavior and the way that he's seemingly failed God. And don't we do this? 
We feel like uh, some of our choices, some of our mistakes, maybe even our habitual behaviors and the way we treat people, the way we think of ourselves, the way we think about others, our greed, our selfishness, that ultimately we become a lost cause, especially in the eyes of God. And not only do we believe ourselves that we've become a lost cause, uh, we've done too much wrong in the eyes of God, we've been told that by others, particularly, and I'll just say this, other Christians. And, And I would say, in my experience of growing up as a Christian, the meanest people that I've come across oftentimes are the people that declare their love for God. Because oftentimes I have been reminded from other Christians and really some other pastors to tell me, here is why Jesus doesn't love you. Here is why Jesus is angry with you. Here is why you need to change everything about you because Jesus does not accept the way you are right here, right now. And if you've ever been hurt by the church, by church leaders on their behalf, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Because oftentimes we're left to feel the things that Peter felt, the shame, the guilt, the the pure failure, and even self-selecting out of God's commission to us because we feel like we're a lost cause. There's no way back. We're far too gone. And because we're far too gone, we go back to our old ways. Or we continue the old ways of the way we behave, treat people, act, think, we go back. It almost reminds me, and I, and I don't say this to be completely humorous, but it reminds me of the way I view my diet. Okay, a lot of you guys, if you're like me, you've, you, you know, concerning health and fitness, you've gone on diets or nutrition plans. And, and by the way, um, when I talk about especially health and fitness, in nutrition, it's something that I wrestle through and, and uh, is a big part of my life. And so the stories that I share are actual real stories that I experience. And so, um, and so I, I, I just have to, I got an email a couple weeks ago about me mentioning being gluten-free and kind of a little bit of humor behind that and, and it wasn't as appreciated. And that was right. I, I'm, I'm grateful that I got that email because uh, it reminded me to just just to tell you that it's it's th- these stories uh, may be sensitive and and you might have a different experience with it, but these are uh, I say it not to make fun or to diminish, uh, but to really share my story. So that's a little bit of a side note that I just thought about. Uh, but when I think about this, I think about uh, the way that I view the way I eat in in, in diets and nutrition. Where uh, I'll give you an example the last couple weeks, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I, I kind of want to clean up my diet, you know, I just, uh, just eating chips and salsa for breakfast and, you know, <laughs> it's not cutting it. And, and it's, it's funny, except for it's true. Uh, and, and so, and I'm feeling it in my body because, you know, like, I, I don't want to do that. And so I started cleaning it up a little bit and eating a little bit better and, you know, more fresher foods and, and all that. And, and then I go to a conference, and, uh, a weekend conference, just a couple days ago. It was a great conference. Uh, but it, at the conference, you know, we had good food, and at the table, there's M&M's, there's chips and salsa, 
And I can't say no to that, okay? So here I am, I'm like, I'm just gonna have some because they're not just M&Ms, but they're peanut M&Ms, okay? Some of you guys, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So I have a few, and I'm like, well, I already had a few, so I should just have a few more. Well, chips and salsa, and you know, I'm gonna have that, and there's sodas, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna confess to you, I'm a sucker for soda, but it was diet, if that means anything, or if that's different, so I grabbed a Diet Coke, and was drinking that, and okay, I go home, and I'm like, all right, I can't do that anymore, but then I'm like, I already messed up. I already, I had chips and salsa, I had M&Ms, I already went off the wagon, and so for dinner, since I already messed up, I'm going to go back to what I was eating before. I go to one of my favorite places, Zippy's, uh, in White Center, uh, to order not just a regular burger, but a double patty burger with bacon, uh, and then fries, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to have anything, I'm not going to have a soda with that, I'm going to have a milkshake, and so I got the milkshake, and I wish I was kidding, but all that happened just last night, it, and I feel like, and I think about that humorous story, because that's the way we deal with sometimes our attitudes, and our behavior, and our sin, I'm already off the wagon, so I'm just going to go back to my old ways, I'm just going to go back, it doesn't matter, I've already f- have fallen, I've gone too far, as if we have no other choice, as if Peter had no other choice than to go fishing, to go back to his old life. And then we get to our, our public reading here where three times, in, in intention, I don't, I don't have time to unpack this, but there's a reason why Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? It's in order for him to be restored after rejecting him three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know that I do. Peter, do you, do you love me? You know that I do. Third time, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you're hurting my feelings. You know that I love you. The problem, and you guys know this, uh, the problem oftentimes with our English translation is that it doesn't give the whole story. And, and so for those of you that are a little bit aware, uh, you may know that in the Greek language, there's at least three ways to talk about love. There's agape. This is the way that God loves us. This is an unconditional love. Uh, that I will love you. I'm a, I'm a covenant with you. I will love you no matter what. That's the agape kind of love. And then there's a phileo kind of love, which is a friendly love. Phileo, the, the city of Philadelphia is named after phileo, which means the city of brotherly love. And then there's eros, which comes from the word, or the word erotic comes from eros. It's an erotic kind of love. So there's at least three different kind of loves. And, and it's not like English where I love my mom, I love my fiance, I love my friends, and I love cheeseburgers, and I love bubblegum. Like, we have love. Like, that covers the whole thing. So we don't get it. But here's what's happening in this story. And I don't want you to miss it. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you agape me more than these things? It says more than these things, more than your old life, meaning more than your fishing boat, more than your fishing nets and, and, your, and whatever you have. Do you agape me more than that? And then Peter says, well, that's a silly question. Of course I phileo you. It doesn't say this in the English Bible, but what you, don't, what you miss out is that, G, uh, that Peter gave Jesus the friend card. You guys know what the friend card is? Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you. Jesus is like, well, maybe you missed what I just said. So for the second time, do you agape me? 
And Peter says, is this guy deaf? Yes, I phileo you. Jesus is asking, do you unconditionally love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you as a friend. And and then the third time, don't miss this, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And Peter says, you're hurting my feelings. Yes, I phileo you. See, what is happening is that Jesus says, I want you to love me. I want you to agape me like I agape you. And Peter is saying, what I have to offer you right now is phileo. What I can give to you is phileo. And Jesus says, I'll take it. Do you phileo me? And Peter says, Yes, I phileo you. And then he says he's hurt. And, 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 I, and maybe this is just exegesis unpacking the scriptures and then there's eisegesis. This might be a little bit of eisegesis. But I don't know that, that Peter's actually sad or, or upset because he's frustrated that Jesus keeps asking the same questions. I think Peter knows what Jesus is asking and that's why he's very intentional of how it's going down. And, and so Peter is hurt and he's upset because essentially what he's saying to Jesus is, this is all that I can give. This is all that I have. It's not perfect. It's not great. It may not even be the exact kind of love, agape, that you're asking me to give to you. But Jesus, I have failed you. Jesus, I have lied to you. Jesus, I've said all these things. It turns out I'm a fraud. And so right now, all I have is this idea of phileo love. That's all that I have to give to you today, right now. And Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll take it. Feed my sheep. Now we can unpack, and that's a whole sermon in itself, of what it means to feed my sheep. But what I want you to understand is that that's an invitation. Feed my sheep. Join me in this mission. Continue in your life of mission. Uh, Live your life in the mission of the kingdom of God as my friend, as a missionary, as an evangelist, as someone who cares for others, who loves the poor, who feeds the homeless, Feed my sheep. It's an invitation saying, whatever you have, Peter, you can't agape me. You have phileo. That's what you can give to me. I'll take it and I, and I receive it and I invite you back into the mission of God. And for some of us, we need to hear that. We need to hear that God wants us exactly where we're at, doesn't push us aside, doesn't say it's not good enough, doesn't say you're not doing enough, doesn't say you're not saying the right things, you didn't go to church enough, you didn't decide to read this or pray that uh, uh, enough. Jesus says, whatever you have, whatever you have to give, I'll take it. I'll take it, it's what Jesus says. And not only will I take it, but Jesus says, and now you are invited to enter and to feed his sheep. 
It reminds me of this story of the prodigal son. And a lot of us who've grown, who's grown up in the church, we, we, we understand the story of the prodigal son. But what I love is at the end of the story, when, when the son gets his act together and says, I'm going to go back to my father, at least he will receive me as a servant. And he runs to the field. And, and what we notice in the scriptures is that the king runs to his son. And, and that is blasphemous in the first century. The king will never run to a servant. The king stays at his throne while the peasants run to the king. And yet gets up off his seat and runs after towards his son. And, and all that opens up his arms to embrace. This is the invitation from the father to the son. And I imagine for many of us, we need to envision that for ourselves, that, that Jesus meets us, runs after us, and says, what you have to give is enough. And so, would you do that? And maybe some of us were boggled down with shame and guilt and mistakes that we have made, and I don't know what those are. Many of us, we have our own, and some of us, we have deep and dark skeletons. We do. Hey, could you imagine, and I've said this before, what if there was a ticker above our head of all the secrets and all the things that we're thinking being visual to others? We'd crawl into a cave. But John chapter 21 reminds us that you, that I, that we are not a lost cause. That where we're at, what we have, will we give that fully to Christ, the resurrected one? That out of death, Jesus brings life, but we must embrace. We must run towards as Jesus runs towards us. And so as I invite the worship team back up, would you do me a favor? Would we, would we together, and myself included, would we take an inventory of our lives of where we may feel shame, where we may feel guilt, or may we feel like we've just completely blown it, that we feel so far away from God, and maybe you are brand new to faith, or maybe you're not uh, part of faith at all, and you're just here because someone, I don't know why you're here, but I'm glad you're here. Thank you for taking a risk on showing up this morning. But what if I have to say to you the promises I believe about Jesus and say no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done as well, that his arms are open. And that whatever you have to give, he says, I'll take it. I'll take it. And would you just live into that this morning? That Jesus receives you exactly like you are. And I've always been told, loves you exactly where you are and loves you too much to have you stay there. And so would we just bring to Jesus all of our good and bad and ugliness and secrets and darkness and things that we're ashamed of, would we just leave that at the table, at the altar and let Jesus have his way? That in this sense of darkness and death, Good Friday, that Jesus comes and says, you know what, I'll take care of the rest. You met me here, you've done all that you can do, you've given me all that you had, let me take over. And he says, I love you too much to have you carry this around. And that's many of us this morning. And I feel it. And I feel, I, I'm not the type that's like really all about, 
you know, this, this mystical, the, the spiritual warfare and, and the devil and, and all that stuff. I, I believe it's real. I don't always talk about it, but this morning I feel it in my soul that there's so much hurt in this room. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but Jesus loves you. Right where you're at. Right where you're at. So would we just give it and surrender to Jesus? Will you pray with me? And when I pray and when we pray together, will you do me a favor? Will you just put your hands out? It's going to be super weird for some of you guys. There's nothing magical that's happening. It's a posture of saying, I surrender. I don't even know what that means. A lot of us, I don't even know what that means to surrender, but, but let's, just, let's just fake it to make it for right now. God, we open up our hands to you to just give you all that we have. It's not even much. Like Peter, we're just giving you all that we have and it's not much, but thank you for saying, I'll take it. Thank you for saying you love us in the midst of our own shame and our own guilt and our own sense of failure and that you receive us and you transform us like Peter who you've deemed as the rock, the church. Thank you. And may we experience what Peter has experienced. Shame to joy. Guilt to being forever in your, in your sight of love. We thank you for that redemption. May we feel and, and experience your restoration, your resurrection this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.